0: Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog They're Wonderful lads, to do a great job there And worth reading about that man
1: there so
0: he the man the numbers be Time's
1: ended up almost looking like a 6-3 one Some very good
0: writing about that on the Managing Madrid website great podcast as well Of course, Fede Valverde was a
1: huge part of the equation Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are recording this when the sun is still up because we had an early kickoff today at the Santiago Bernabeu, which may have not worked out for Real Madrid's players who look kind of asleep through the majority of this game, especially in the first half, and that does tend to happen with these earlier kickoffs. So, I'm not entirely surprised, but I did expect a better Real Madrid performance, and we are going to break down Real Madrid dropping two vital points against Girona, a team that has, I don't know, in a way, like, obviously, they're in the relegation zone, their results have not been good, they've also suffered some narrow losses, they have the capability and the talent to punch above their weight, so, them to end, they've also taken points off of, us, off of us twice, I think in the last two or three years, so, not that surprising, but disappointing nonetheless to help me break this down is jose perez jose how are you welcome to the show
0: yeah hello kian hello everyone uh this is i mean it is a disappointing performance in the end because we keep seeing that this league is very likely gonna go to 90 points plus so every drop drop point is gonna hurt a lot so and it's a performance where i think uh, Real Madrid fell asleep at the wheel, especially in the first half. So the second half, they generated a lot more. So, And and really, a lot of what happened in the second half, I'll just file it into things happen. And sometimes you generate and you don't get the result. The more worrying things are, A, in that second half, Girona did generate enough that they, even without the penalty, they could have gotten a goal perfectly. Uh, and the other worrying thing is just again the the whole falling asleep in the first half with gate which gave me very similar energy to uh, to the leipzig game where the team was clearly lacking like intensity so who knows it could just be one of these situations where like just the uh, all the games uh, all the games that they have been playing continuously for the last couple months are just adding up
1: um yeah and There's like just a lot that I wanted to go over after this game in between the game ending and the podcast starting. I still feel like there's a lot that I haven't gone over yet, but that's why I have you here. And, you know, we're going to kind of, so the way I see it, because everything about this game is like, oh, the referee this, the referee that, you know, we got screwed. I'm going to leave that for the end. That's like, once we get to the bottom of the barrel, we can scrape that if we want, um, because there was... They they were there were talking points from the referee either way. What I don't like is always when the discussion is dominated by that. When there are I think more just pressing issues that Real Madrid just didn't play well. I think there were issues that there are that need to be break, broken down first and foremost. So um, Chuameni had to sit out this game. Then obviously Benzema was not, was not able to play. You had Rodrigo Vinicius Fede, which torch Atletico earlier and have all three of those players have played well. And you had Kamavinga, Cruz and Mordic. You had a back line that I'm excited to see. Personally, I, I like the fact that Rudiger and Alaba, I think that Perry makes sense, although I don't think it looked good today. You had Mendy at left back, Carvajal at right back. The defense was a mess. So why don't we start with the starting lineup, Jose? How did you see the midfield functioning in this game, the positioning of Kamavinga, Mordic, and Kroos?
0: This one was, I would say, it was pretty. I mean, just like it is with Choummard, it continues to be pretty fluid. Like you had these situations where, for example, Kamavinga was allowed uh, to go to go forward a bit, and for example, joints on combina- some combinations on the right. Uh, we could see that a co- we could see that a couple times. All in all, this position makes more sense for me for Kamavinga. Kamavinga right now is in this situation where. He struggles more when he has to be the midfielder, like the eight receiving the pass instead of being the guy who plays deeper and is the one who's carrying the ball from deep. He's more comfortable in that role. He was clearly more comfortable in that role uh, today. Of course, defensively, it's not the same. Like. He doesn't have the same kind of tactical discipline as Tramini has. So, of course, you you still see more issues in transition when he's playing at, at the sixth uh, versus Tramini. But he looked a lot more comfortable in, on the ball than in previous games.
1: I I liked Kamavinga in this game because I thought it was closer to some of his performances we've seen last season. In the first half, anyway, it actually was... And this is another talking point. I think I was a little bit surprised that he came off for Sensio rather than Cruz, who I thought was not at his best and obviously also was on a yellow. Even I mean, even then I think Carlo was like, There's no way Cruz is gonna get a second yellow, but he actually got his first red card today. So that that happened. But Kamavinga I thought was playing really well. And here's what I liked about his performance. I liked the fact that he was moving between the lines. He was active as a vertical passer. I liked the fact that he was combining well with players in front of him, but also on on the right side. I did take issue with some of his tracking on defense and letting players behind him, and I. Th- but I th- also think that was a midfield thing. Mortar seemed seem like was the most advanced of the three, and it it kind of was was weird. And I'm curious to know, like, get your thoughts on also how the defense in conjunction to that functioned, because you look at Girona's two biggest chances in the first half, and they all come on a, like similarly on the back of this weird play where Carvajal falls uh, in, in both instances. And Rudiger is basically marking two players by himself. And Alaba's up the field, and the midfield is not tracking. So where did you see some of the, the defensive issues? Like, where were they stemming from?
0: I think uh, this... Sh- this I would say was a more traditional like Real Madrid versus a pretty counterattacking team performance. So it's one of those situations where the whole team is up in the opposition half holding a high line, and then uh Girona manages to take advantage of that really well. And I think uh in many situations like I think sometimes Real Madrid gets to avoid these kinds of situations when, say uh Fede and Schrameni are playing in midfield because they can cut off those kinds of situations before they get to the defensive line. But in these situations, but but here, say, with with Kroos and Modric, who, of course, have more veteran legs, with Kamavinga, who's less disciplined it's a it it was a bit easier for Girona to break through in those in those counter-attacking opportunities and end up in situations where they were facing the defense where they were facing the defensive line so I see it a bit as kind of a a personnel uh more of a midfield Personnel mm. kind of thing where uh say without Trameni and Valverde in uh, in the midfield positions Real Madrid's midfield loses a bit of intensity uh in the loses a bit of yeah of intensity and positional discipline when defending. So that's something because all because apart from that, I think the team's tactical behavior I think wasn't too different than usual. It's just this time you didn't you didn't have maybe guys in midfield who could track who could track back the way Traoré or Valverde do.
1: Yeah, and uh, I I think some of it also was just that this. The game state seems so weird in this game, in that we the the possession was fifty fifty we had a little bit more possession in their half, and they were just so dangerous on the counter and and I think like some of their players one of the one of the things about Girona and I've watched enough of them this season is that I always feel like they have the personnel to actually make you really uncomfortable like they have a promising pool of talent even rodrigo riquelme who came off in the second half as a player that i've been really impressed with for example and and carvajal was having a really hard time with um uh fernandez on the left wing for the his first name uh valeri so yes he was having a he was a hard time dealing with that and like even the the second one where he went down it was just like this 50-50 challenge where Carvajal was actually, if anything, it was Carvajal fou- uh, fouling him, and he just gets taken down, and he's just bullied off the ball. And again, our transition defense was just not good in this game. Um, there were a couple good things brewing in Girona's half. Nothing great, and even like the two chances that were pretty good. One was Mordech, and the other one was Rodrigo, Both in the right half space. Mm-hmm. Mordech's shot goes wide. Rodrigo hits the post. It was still pretty they were still pretty tightly marked there wasn't that much space to deal with so um did you see like could you pinpoint something offensively where you thought man maybe real Madrid could have done better here maybe vinicius could have gotten more involved what did you see there
0: yeah i think a lot of like the area of improvement was really real madrid's left side so uh the other thing i wanted to say i was looking at player positions and definitely The midfield trio was looking more like, and that's how I felt it was in game, like it was almost more like a Kroos and Kamavinga double pivot with Modric ahead of them, almost as a 10, like he had a lot of freedom to roam around. So I think Carlo has been using a lot this kind of more 4-2-3-1-ish shape lately, and we've seen in a few games that it leads to more transition issues. Um, We saw it again, for example, versus Shakhtar, and I think we're starting to, we started to see some problems here too, because you just end up in situations where you just have more players ahead. Like you have four players uh, ahead of the ball and trying to, and say, trying to attack the box consistently. So you have fewer players defending in transition. So that's, so just to finish the previous conversation that I wanted to confirm that, then that's the case. So we really, uh played more like kind of a four two three one and it shows um and then going into the attack i definitely think that especially in the first half the biggest point of improvement was left side uh of course uh Vinicius was not sharp but there's also a lot of uh preparation from the opponent for this so uh how Girona normally sets up in sort of a five three two kind of setup they usually set up with a back five this time around, what they did is set up with a back four with a back four in kind of a four-five-one setup. And what they did is that uh they were setting up with two right two right backs. So you had Jan Koto on the right and Arnao Martinez, uh and Arnau Martinez too. So they were kind they, they were in that position specifically uh I, I, with the intention of trying to double team Vinicius. So that was a very specific match preparation that Gira, that Girona did for this game. I find it interesting because uh uh their coach Michel is usually someone who's like like he did a very good defensive game and it's one of the better defensive games I've seen him set up because he did a, he usually doesn't have a reputation for being that kind of coach but this time he did some really nice match preparation and I think he not only combined, like, he combined a good defensive block with good, counter-attack, with good counterattacks, and they also defended well, like, with the ball, which is how you ended up with these situations where possession was very split between Girona and Real Madrid. So, overall, it was a pretty good setup, and that made life harder for Real Madrid's left side. So, of course, especially in the first half, Vinicius, like, this... I think Girona set, set up so well that you they Real Madrid ended up in a situation where the only way to really ba- break through was individual brilliance. You would have needed uh Vinicius dribbles or 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 one, or one of brilliant combination to really b- break through and it just didn't happen.
1: Well, um it's weird because throughout the game and at halftime the narrative from a lot of the fans was <laughs> we hate how Girona play the classic terrorist football and stuff. And I got to say, like, I didn't really see it that way because they actually did a bit of both. They defended well and they were dangerous on the counter. And, you know, they created really good chances. You know, as as it ended 1-1, it could have ended 2 or 3-0 in Ramjit's favor. It also could have ended 2-2 or 3-2 in Girona's favor. That's the kind of game it was. This was actually more even than I think it looked. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Girona, first of all, played well on both ends of the field. But also, Real just never got out of... I always get it mixed up. What's the highest gear? Is it first gear?
0: Uh, highest in the sense...
1: Like, what's the most the best gear? The most intense gear? First gear?
0: I usually go the opposite way. For me, the low gear is like first and then like fifth, fifth gear, but... Okay.
1: I, say, I I always get it mixed up. But whatever it is, Ray Amdra just didn't get out of the of the initial gear. Like, it, they just didn't look yeah. like they... Once, like, the second half hit, you start, like, Vinicius came out in the second half, was a little bit more um, purposeful with his dribbling. Cutting inside and then making off-ball runs, trying to get involved a little bit more. And obviously, the goal happened, like, throughout that entire period and before he scored... He was also moving into the right half space. He was being more active. And I think we really needed that from him in the first half because the first half, yeah. everything that came uh, about Real stack was from the right side. And it was very, most of the danger came from the right side that we created in the first half. The second mm-hmm. half, Vinicius got involved a little bit more, which was good. Um, how did you see the, the roles of the wingbacks today? I'm curious. I think, you know, these are the games where maybe you cry out for more offense from Mendy. Because yes. you need you need the overlap and the underlap runs to unlock some space for Vinicius. Mendy, as we all noted at halftime, the guy is a master when he's being pressed in his own box, and he and he looks super awkward doing so, but he always escapes pressure somehow, some way. No matter how little space there is, no matter how many people are swarming him, he gets out, uh, and then he gets a chance in in the opponent's box, and he just is is like half the player on the ball. What could you have gotten more from from him and also just the wingbacks in general?
0: Yeah, so overall, I think I still like for example Carvajal's performance I generally like he was like he was where you expected him to be like he uh when he had to do well these days carvajal is uh maybe a bit less intense on the overlap. he does a lot more like he does more. Uh, like he plays a lot almost like an inside fullback like he goes inside a lot of the time instead of making like the deep run but overall i think i'm pretty happy generally with Carvajal this season and i think he's mad, even even if he doesn't run as much as he did before in the attack i think he still finds ways to be pretty productive so for now and with how things are going on the right side with Fede and Rodrigo uh sometimes Modric joining i think Things worked out roughly as well as they could have in that side, Uh, but it's really the left where, again, more like and and I agree. Like this is these are situations where, if Vinicius had a left back who was more consistent in his attacking game, it would be easier to unlock him. It would be easier for Vinicius to go past these situations when teams decide to double team him uh, because. in the end, the Mendy has the skills. Like we see the dribbling when it happens. It just doesn't happen that frequently in the final third. But the worst part is just that they still... It's been years of them playing together and you still don't quite see the chemistry between them. You still, like... It's very different, for example... When you have Alaba playing left back, because he kind of knows how to play off others, and with Mendy, you still don't quite see that ability to like really play off, uh, uh, do re- do good combinations with Vinicius. And if Vinicius had that, it would be so much easier for him to unlock defenses on on that side. So it's yeah, like I think this is again a game where Girona defended so well that that's when you really start seeing some of the limitations of uh, of Real Madrid's attack you start seeing the limitations on the fullbacks you start seeing well the fact that Benzema is not there so um uh, and that many times like when Rodri- like Rodrigo is actually really good like is uh, as good of a Benzema substitute as you can have I would say it's just he does. He doesn't always occupy the box as effectively because Benzema, like Benzema's quality, is that he can be there in the combination play, and then he somehow still manages to get into the box and get something up. With Rodrigo, it was sometimes it's he can still get good shots off, but it's a bit more difficult for him to get into those really good shooting positions that Benzema does. So it was like today, it, it was really a team that defended so well that you started seeing some of those limitations in Real Madrid's attack. And, yeah, it's it, it it's really, like, apart from individual brilliance, it was really hard to break past that. I
1: also, I also saw a couple of occasions in this game at least, actually much more than a couple. There was quite a few where, like, we did not have a prolific crossing game in this game. Like, the numbers in the crossing weren't astronomical or anything by any means. But I think that in part also was to do with the fact that Carvajal would sometimes look up or Mortar Cruz would look up and there just wasn't that Benzema presence in the box. And, you know, when Rodrigo is kind of playing outside the box, and don't get me wrong, so does Benzema. play? He plays outside the box quite a bit. But when he makes the run into the box, um, there's something to hit there, and he also drags defenders with him. There were a few occasions in this game where that, that didn't exist. Like, we just didn't have that option. That's why cutbacks seem to work a little bit better in those situations. And obviously, the Fede assist to Vinicius was... On a smaller scale, basically, the pass to uh, the pass in the Champions League final where he drives it across the face of goal and Vinicius is there with a the great run. Um, what else from that first half stood out to you? Curious to see. We can go through and dissect it all, but um, I'm curious to know what, where you want to steer the conversation. Let's
0: see. From the first half,
1: I think that's mostly covered. I mean, uh, what was
0: interesting was how... I think I think it was interesting that Real Madrid really liked. I think they it was a good job in the first 20 minutes, like kind of attacking, pressing, ca- having the game happen in Gidona's half. Uh, and they were recovering the ball frequently enough and recycling and then trying to attack again. Uh, and then, of course, they couldn't quite capitalize on that because of the issues we mentioned, because... The left side wasn't generating as much because Rodrigo is not Benzema when it comes to occupying the box. Um, so we saw we saw that that Real Madrid couldn't capitalize on that. And then the the later part of the first half then it started to see things going more uh, according to Girona's way because they started to have they started to accumulate more possession. Real Madrid's pressing, as usual, is not consistent. So. The press was maybe doing a bit better the first 15 to, 15 to 20 minutes. But then as it went on, Girona started finding ways to bypass the press and to start getting more counters or to start keeping the ball more frequently. And that made it more difficult for Real Madrid to generate something. So, yeah, the second part of the first half things really slowed down, and it was like the most boring and uneventful part of the game, which was good for Girona because in the end, uh, what was convenient for them is for fewer things to happen in the game. So uh, all in all, I have to keep saying, like it was a really complete performance from Girona because they defended with the ball. They defended well without the ball. Uh, if, the, if I have to mention a standout, both in first and second half from Girona, I think their MVP, and I think he did get the MVP award at the end, is Oriol Romeu, who I think was kind of in a Casemiro reborn form where he was just, like, really good on all aspects, like really good when Girona had to defend and press, really well positioned. He was soft in helping clear things, like clear any balls that came into, into Girona's box uh for me he's the game MVP, girona's MVP, and it having a defensive midfielder that's doing that well is vital when you need to hold like a deeper defensive block so i would say there's something that stood out for me from girona is toriel romeo in the sixth row
1: he was good defensively i thought he was good on the ball too um yes he was good there there were a couple there were definitely a few players from from Girona, girona that impressed um I also one of the things that I noted also with Real Madrid's defense was it wasn't just the transition defense. Like there were a couple sequences where the man-to-man press was was okay, but overall there was a lot of space between the lines. I did not like the amount. Uh, I didn't like our press generally speaking, as I haven't really this season. I also just didn't like the gap between the defense and the midfield. I I thought we could have done better to prevent Girona from getting into those good positions a little bit higher up the pitch if we had just been A bit more cohesive and better structured defensively. Um, what was your assessment of Rudiger's performance in this game? I thought it was a bit of a mixed bag, um, but I'm curious to know what you thought. Yeah,
0: uh, it's so. I'm one of the things that I think about in defense a lot is that I start to understand, uh, why Carlo didn't want to rotate that much than central defenders, as in like one can start seeing how like cuz right like right now Real Madrid has been rotating the uh, the central defense a lot and in a way that's a good thing cuz it means Rudiger has more minutes to settle in uh and I think that those efforts will pay off in the second half of the season but of course it's if you mix it up as uh, this much then yeah it does feel like it does feel like sometimes it's just like the centre-back pairings just don't look as settled in and as stable as they look last season. So, for me, it's less of an individual player issue. It's just more of a general collective issue uh, that that's kind of so. Especially when it comes to defence, that's what I think when I see Rüdiger. Like some, and of course, it's sometimes a bit of a mix bag. Sometimes he has to do like impossible situation, like stuff like defending the impossible situations that we talked about in the first half um other times um i would say that today i i saw kind of the more chaotic version of rüdiger on the ball like sometimes sometimes he has games where he's really impactful other times he has games where it's just what he try but what he tries uh, doesn't work out but it's a bit like vinicius like he tries things sometimes they work sometimes they don't but that's what the player personality is and that's what makes them who they are uh especially for good so yeah maybe today was a bit more of a miss but yeah it happens
1: well it was like i don't it wasn't like a huge miss it was just that like for example in the first half i felt bad for him cuz i felt like he was alone on those defensive transition sequences it reminded me of like ramos and varan back in the day trying to like keep yeah. it together and be like hey guys where are you, where are you guys at could you use some help back here he had that one Poor giveaway in the sixty-six minute with Girona nearly mm-hmm. score from. Yeah. And then like a minute later, he had a really important defensive intervention when he's doing his, his sprint thing yeah. and stopping a break and, and the Bernabeu applauds it. So just a little bit of a mixed bag, that's all. Um, nothing concerning or anything. <clears throat> um, just going to go through my first half notes really quick. <sighs> I think we said everything needed to be said about Kamavinga. His tackling was good too, in a nutshell, yes. like in his, in, in a vacuum rather. Um, it was about-
0: better than like, I think I thought it was better than Leipzig. Like it, Against Leipzig, I was actually disappointed with him defensively. Like I think he was decent on ball, but defensively, I was pretty disappointed today. It was better. And I definitely agree with your assessment that to me, it kind of made more sense uh, to substitute or Modric in the second half, rather than Camavinga. I think his energy was quite useful, and yeah, I mean he looked qu- he looked quite quite comfortable in the setup. It's definitely a lot better when he gets to play behind the ball rather than ahead of the ball.
1: Cruz is I don't know. Cruz was just had some uncharacteristic moments to me that stood out, and it's. I almost feel ridiculous saying that because I, I after yeah. I thought maybe this wasn't Cruz's best game by the eye test anyway. Again, I thought he could have tracked better defensively. I thought some of his, um, some of his decisions on the ball could have been better. Then I looked at the numbers: ninety-six out of hundred passes completed, ten out of 10, 10 out of twelve long balls completed. And again, I'm not even saying that Cruz was amazing in this game. It's just that in my mind, that this was a subpar Cruz game, and Cruz's worst game is like better than most people's like best game. Is basically yes. that's the standard. His baseline
0: yeah, baseline is insane. That being said, like you look at it also from a defensive perspective, I think like it's the lowest amount of like completed tackles and like today he had just had like one tackle and or interception completed. He's been averaging a lot more since the international break. So this is kind of one of his less effective defensive performances in the last month or so. So that was, and and so in a way, it doesn't surprise that uh, that he ended up with the red card because he just like, he's been winning duels more consistently in previous weeks and this time around, uh, he struggled a bit more in winning those duels.
1: Modric had five key passes, four of them in the first half, and that kind of just crept up on me too. I don't I don't remember how noteworthy those moments were, but you know he was involved. The point is in the first half, especially in that right half space, um, <clears throat> and in the second half, he played a couple great great passes. One of them was down the flank for the disallowed goal. He plays the ball down the flank and and then Mariana who. Actually had a pretty good cameo in this game off the bench in his few minutes. Yes. Worked really hard, did some ball winning in midfield, set up Rodrigo for the disallowed goal. Um, so this brings us to the second half, where, as we noted, Real Madrid played with a little bit more intensity to start the second half, which was good. And and by the time that Vinicius scores his goal, you're thinking, okay, this is the classic Real Madrid yeah. La Liga performance. Not not be great, but do enough. And wake up a little bit later in the second half, and then from there it's just nightmare after nightmare. So Asensio has an um, has a chance saved, an incredible save yes. by um, <clears throat> goalkeeper Gazaniga. Yes, yes. Even I though
0: it was point- forgotten that he played, I, I completely forgot it that Gazaniga was playing for for Girona. And then I see him yeah. at goal today, and it's like, oh, what?
1: Well, and, and once you see him on the field, you can't miss him, either either through yeah. antics yeah. or incredible saves or something. Yeah. <clears throat> so he he makes that incredible save. It's 2 nothing. Ten minutes after Vinicius' goal is where the controversy starts. So this is where we can get into it. I said this on Twitter. I stand by it. The referees are the last thing I like to talk about, and it's, it's part of the reason why sometimes I have to log on a Churrosy Tactics podcast knowing that Diego is going to bring up Barca conspiracies, and I kind of dread it. But I entertain him a little bit. Um, having said that, I the referee could have done better in this situation. Like if you go by the rules, the Ascencio handball could not be can can you can you cannot call that. It hits his chest, hits his hand. There's nothing you can do about it in that situation. The penalty gets called and Stewani converts it. It's one-one at that point.
0: I mean it does feel
1: like from my perspective
0: it does feel harsh uh it's just that the way I see it of course it's a very reflexive action like putting your hand up to protect your face which is what uh, what he was trying to do but yeah when you put your hand there in that situation it's kind of asking for trouble so uh but again how do you ask a football player to not do like a re- to not have that reflex so mm, i it's yeah, it's just one of those situations where uh especially with the update to the handball rule, it feels like almost everything independently of whether it's intentional, not intentional or whatever it's it, it gets called and I and actually um I don't have the numbers at hand, but generally both in Spain and Italy, referees are quite harsh with the handball rule to the point that almost anything at this point, uh, ends up being called. So uh this might even be a handball that might not get called in Germany or England where there where it looks like the refereeing is still a bit more permissive with the new handball rule, but in Spain and Italy these things just um yeah to me it looks to me it looks a bit harsh, especially since like the brunt of the impact was like hitting him on the chest. But mm, yeah.
1: So it's just that yeah, like the handball rule for years has been, <clears throat> to me, just brutally open to interpretation. It's yeah. the hardest call in the game because it is open to interpretation. And once once you have rules that are open to interpretation, things can just go wrong because everyone, the the la- the consistency will basically disappear. And, you know, they've changed it to make it a bit more straightforward where it's like, you know, they tried the thing where it's like, okay, Handball, deliberate or not, if it's a handball, it's a handball. Now, th- now they change it to like they, you know, they've obviously clarified, you know, where the handball starts. It's a, it's, it's under the armpit, and then they said, you know, if your body's in an unnatural position, that where it makes you bigger. But now it's also pretty clear that if it goes off another part of your body and then hits your hand, that that's and that and that's where it comes into the play for this particular instance, and that's where you can you can say Asensio's penalty shouldn't have been called, and then you fast forward to the rodrigo incident <clears throat> michelle said something actually. sorry
0: i th- think that i think the rodrigo one is a lot clearer i thought that situation. was pretty clear
1: I, I i know that there was a meltdown over that one part of the reason why i think there's a meltdown is because there's an un- lack of understanding on the rules but also because um there are the screenshot that is circulating is incorrect on social media, where they're pausing it and saying this is where he didn't have control of the ball. Mitchell said something interesting after the game, Girona's coach. He said that, to me, um, It it's not a foul, but according to the rules, it's a foul. And by that, he means like, let's be honest, maybe the, the rules should be different. Like maybe we should allow strikers to be yes. able to do that, essentially. But he also yeah. said, according to the rules, it's a foul. Ancelotti basically had a similar stance after the game where he said, I don't understand the Asensio handball. I kind of get the Rodrigo disallowed goal. Yeah. Um, and this is Except the rule this. literally taken from the rule book. I'll read it verbatim if I can find the tab quickly. I don't know. What's your tab situation right now? Because mine is basically if I have one more tab okay. open, it's like <laughs> it's I can't like, even read what's, what the tab is anymore. Hands. There's so yeah. many tabs. Um let me All see right.
0: if I can find it, because you, did you tweet that one out? I okay. have it
1: right here. I have it. Quote, Okay. Quote, a goalkeeper okay. is considered to be in control of the ball while the ball is between his hands or between his hand and any surface, yeah. like, uh, like the ground or his own body. And so also that that also clarifies the fact that, like, you know, It doesn't matter if it's just one hand on the ball. It doesn't have to be two hands. If you have one hand on the ball, even for a second, and you're just holding it to the ground, that, again, I'm not saying, like, I I think there actually is a case where, like, maybe a striker should be allowed to kick the ball. I don't know. But that's not the discussion. The discussion is, according to the rules, it's a disallowed goal. So So
0: that one, to me, it's quite clear. Yeah, for me, it's also quite clear. It was clear, like, the keeper, according to the rules, secured the ball. And at that point, yeah, Rodrigo couldn't do anything. So that one, it is what it is. With the handball, it's more annoying. It's not the first time that I see these kinds of dumb handballs where it's like it bounces off one part of your body and into the hand. And it's like, what the hell is what the, hell is the player supposed to do about it? But yeah, I've seen those ones called. I think the rule, again, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to make on the handball rule to make it I don't know like it's complicated it's a complicated call but I think there's still work that needs to be made to make this less vague because as it is it's a pain and it's always open to interpretation and for some refs that's going to count that that's going to count as a penalty for others it won't and mm, that's an annoying situation to be in <clears throat>
1: um okay so we got that out of the way yes and what... for
0: the rest of the second half uh yeah i mean as far as substitutions i so i was yeah i wasn't a fan of the kamavinga substitution because i think he was doing well and it was worth like making use of his energy uh uh for this situ- for this situation that being said uh apart from that apart from that i found uh, the mariano substitution i was quite happy about it Uh, I think he did a good job. Like, I think it was a good Mariano cameo, which frankly I wasn't expecting and it almost even led to a goal. And yeah, I, I think, I think a lot, uh, I think Real Madrid was really on track to get the typical Real Madrid win. But then this time around, things happened. Uh, the red card happened, the penalty happened, so it couldn't be this time. But that's, um, I mean but this is ultimately the result of a team that is not really dominating games or opponents. Real Madrid is not a team that really dominates Opa, that like it's not Manchester City. They're not a team that are set up to dominate opponents every week. It's always like do just enough to get over to get over the edge and then go and then get to next week. And when you're not and yeah, like when you're not the kind of team that dominates like that you are think you things are more open to variance and it's more or you're more open to situations when yeah if things happen like they happen today then it's not as easy it's not as easy to win it uh in some ways like uh why uh, like barcelona despite some deficits despite the facts that despite the fact that against very tough opponent against top opponents they struggle i think they're a team that are better set up to dominate weaker sides with the- so i think they've i think xavi still has to figure a lot of stuff out against top opponents but they do have a setup that's that can deal with weaker sides dominate them more consistently than for example real madrid dominates yeah. uh, weaker opponents And that makes the day-to-day like that makes their day-to-day in some way, smoother sailing than Real Madrid's.
1: It's hard to do right now because I, I feel like in, after games like this, there's an extra bit of sensitivity around the fan base. But if you zoom out, these games exist on the road route to a title run, um, I guess my stance is Real Madrid played poor. They did enough that they could have won it, and they didn't. Okay. And I, I do think that you need to approach these games with maybe more intensity. And it's a little bit of a cliche thing, like intensity. What is intensity? What does all this mean? You know, is it energy? Is it, you know, is it playing a different way? I just do think that, you know, these are the games that have always been troubling for Real Madrid in the past more so than the Barcelona's even more so than the Atletico's it's just it's these games against against teams who are feisty who are organized and are actually in that echelon of lower tier like you have to be a certain threshold of a team like a Girona in the relegation <laughs> zone like to, to give, really give yes, us problems I think
0: yeah that's uh yeah, uh, and it's and that's the thing. Like, I feel like in the second half, the team generated a lot. Like, there was enough, uh, there was enough for Real Madrid to score one or two more goals. That being said, the main thing that I find troubling is that it also came at the cost of like Girona could have generated one or two goals out of it. So um mm, that's a bit so that, that's something I find a bit more problematic, and of course, uh there's the first half that was just, yeah, the team on gear one and, re- and not really speeding up. So, all in all, I think it's, I think for this week, uh, generally, like both this game and, and, and Leipzig, the key word is intensity because I think that's what the team has been lacking a lot, uh, this week lack that intensity against Leipzig, lack that intensity, especially in the first half against Girona and in some fa- and yeah just generally in some defensive faces midfield was lacking the like they were lacking the intensity and not winning the duels that they were winning previously so that le- that left situations where the defensive line today was forced to put out fires uh so all in all that's kind of the takeaway point for uh, takeaway point for this week and it just shows that uh, uh in many ways how just how vital both uh Fede and Chuameni are for this team because one game like one game without Fede you saw the lack of intensity one game without Chameni you see, you see also the lack of intensity in certain zones and it just shows how they at this like it, it just shows why they at this point are kind of certified starters in this team because What they provide, both in terms of defensive intensity and positional discipline, is something that, yeah, it's at this point irreplaceable for Real Madrid.
1: Should be noted too, and I know we didn't touch on it much, and I think that's partly to do with Fede having a quiet game overall despite a great assist. He also had a couple in the first half where really great coverage on Carvajal, who had gambled a little bit up the field. and, yes. and Fede sprints back and that's part of the reason why I think also was the fact that we didn't there's not that much to say about Miguel Gutierrez in this game who I you know I would have loved to have had a segment on I don't know did, did you have much on Miguel
0: I was think like right before we started recording I was looking up it's like what was he doing and it's like yeah it's not really much and yeah and and, and I think it's also because uh even though Real Madrid's Left side maybe didn't produce as much. It's still the side that Real Madrid was trying to attack most, and so I think that a lot of the counterattacks that Girona was coming up with came from came on the other side many times. So it was more yeah. from the side of the like they from the side of the right backs. So um, we could see we could see Coto and Arnau Martinez have a bit more impact than. Uh, that Miguel had on the other side, but yeah, the other thing is that Miguel had to deal with with Fede and Carvajal on the other side, so that make made life a bit a bit tougher for him. And the other thing that I think it's important to to note is that this time around he wasn't quite playing wing back. I mean, normally he gets to play wing back in a in a back five, so he has more freedom to go forward. Here he was a left back in a back four and. He didn't like. He didn't have as much freedom to go forward as he would have in other games. So I think that also made it harder for him to have an impact offensively.
1: Yeah, um, Miguel had thirty-five touches, I think it was, in about sixty-six six minutes, and uh, and it, uh, again was just was just pretty quiet in the ball. Seventy-seven percent passes completed. And Martinez, the opposite wing back, had about double the amount of touches. So, as you said, I think Real Madrid, especially in that first half, attacked down the right, pinned him, and also Girona were going down the other side as well. So, I think that was definitely part of it. Reine Jesus, the other guy under our umbrella, I think like four touches off the bench or something like that. Yeah. Can't say anything about him. Yeah. Um,
0: So, yeah, can't say anything about him. That's good. By the way, Arnao Martinez, I think he's a Barca uh I think he's from the Barça Academy. Is he? because I'm saying this because at this point Barça might be so uh Barça needs right backs at the moment. So it's like this is probably a player that they might be thinking about that they might be thinking
1: about uh soon. Let's see. Um we don't care on this podcast jose (laughs) what what they need need. we
0: don't care about what they and like if they can make a decision not to get a not to get a good ride back even better
1: yeah (laughs) let them be happy with bayern um yeah i mean i think I'm, i'm happy with this i think we had a lot of defensive issues in this game yeah um i don't think we really created amount of, uh, that many t- uh chances i mean if you look at the xg and the timing chart rodrigo double chance in the 88th minute um 0. 0.97 one of them and 0. 0.81 yeah. the other one and before that our xg would have been like one under one something like that i don't know my math but yeah, yeah. so it ended up
0: yeah, I, I I was seeing that that we had that uh Ral ended up with like an XG of like two point six or whatever. But then it's just really inflated by those two big ones yeah. at the end. Otherwise, like the team didn't really get to produce much. Like it really like things really things really just got faster and the team really woke up after the goal. And yeah, it goes back to what what we say many times. It's like it's it's just hard like it's just hard you're subjecting yourself to variance and to things happening if you choose not to try to dominate an opponent for the other 70 minutes of the game so uh and and the thing is that uh given how Real Madrid played these games in a way, it's surprising uh that it's taken kind of this long to start getting like a string of more negative results to have like, a, a loss and a draw like in a week like it's i think given how this team plays and sometimes let's just say it plays with fire when it comes to variance and not dominating opponents i am kind of surprised that results have been as good as they have uh up to this point in the season so in a way uh i'm not surprised uh it is something where i mean it has always been the task, the pending task for Real Madrid for many years, to be that team that can go week to week, that that week after week uh, can deliver and dominate and not play with fire in that way. To have like to so that has always been Real Madrid's pending task, and uh, with the league, so I, I still think that the team is in pretty good shape, uh, and that this will still like like I don't see this week as. Uh, as a, like as an example of some kind of negative trend it's just blip in the radar i think they will reco- i i think they will recover from that and anyways there's a big break coming up so even if the team somehow entered a negative dynamic you have a, you you have a couple months to to recover from that so i don't think there's that much to worry about but it's just that yeah you right now when Real Madrid are going up against an opponent that's likely going to force them to go to 90 points each point each game that you don't win is kind of going to hurt uh i think Real Madrid were overdue kind of a situation like this uh but yeah it's still it's still going to hurt
1: it does no doubt like to me it's always been like look i've been following this team since 98 every single season almost very few exceptions these games are there's so many games like this even in even in seasons we win titles and the answer is always hey Keon shut up this is Real Madrid our standard is up here we have to destroy every team every game this is you cannot accept this mediocrity like look man I'm just this is what it is I'm, maybe I'm desensitized to it by now this we're not this is not we're not deploying 11 robots these are human beings playing against low blocks and they have to deal with Psych- psychological things and fatigue and missing some of their best players and then there are things that happen within the game not ideal, you can perform better for sure but yeah, it's 100% true that this league is going to be harder than last season in a way because although I think maybe you could argue a lot of the teams in the league are worse the main rival is better and again, it's going to just it's, it, this could go down to the wire with a lot of points needed to win this league and that's where I think there's some of this anxiety comes from the fact that like you know every point really 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 matters um yeah i haven't checked
0: how many points did the team have last year after like 10 11 games i don't i don't really remember i just think like the the way i see it like i think this beginning to the league august september october has been very strong like has been a very strong one for real madrid i i mean after it has yeah, like after 10, 20 years of following Real Madrid, like I this is one of the stronger starts to a season that I remember. And uh Yeah, I mean that this the way I see it is it was kind of a this guy this blip in the radar was kind of overdue. Of course it would it would have been great if the team won it, but uh mm. I think all in all uh Real Madrid is go- is doing well. I do have a feeling that this team, well, the good thing is that like you see Barca and I don't know if they have another gear. I know for sure that Real Madrid have another gear good point. and that it could kick in, in the second half of the season. So say if if, if Real Madrid can keep say like even if Barca are up ahead in the table, if they can keep them at a distance of like two, three points, and uh, like going to the second half of the season, even with Barca ahead by two, three points, I think that's already a good position to tackle the second half of the season. Which is uh, again where usually Real Madrid tightens things up and gets more consistent. So, because because what had happened, like if we look at situations before where Real Madrid lost league titles. So many of them were lost, like in the first half of the season, where you, uh, where the team ends up like with di- with this dist- point distances that just cannot be saved, like, yeah, yeah ending up with, ba- with Barcelona, like seven, eight up, uh, eight points up ahead. And then at that point, even if you get more consistent in the second half, what are you going to do? So, uh, all in all, I still think Real Madrid is in a good position. And if the team really gets, uh, gets the, R- gets to a really high, consistently high level in the second half, as long as Barca is within two, three points, I think that's a good position to go into the second half of the season. So not to say that this that this, the, this draw cannot matter, but it just happens. And I think uh, the first half was disappointed, but the second half, the team created enough to like, it, it, that in other weeks they could have won the game. This time it didn't happen. Mm. I, yeah, apart from, apart from the details of like defensive intensity uh, and, and the fact that maybe Vinicius didn't have, even with the goal, didn't have as good, as good of a game and it's been just a a bit slower, like, uh, and not as sharp this past month. Like, it's hard to see like how much more can the team do better, could have done better this time around.
1: It's a good point about Barca's gears and Real Madrid's gears. I do think, and part of the reason I really believe that Real Madrid have a higher gear to go to that Barca don't is because Barcelona's best player Lewandowski has been playing and scoring. Benzema has not gotten going yet to that capacity. And mm-hmm. it's and I feel like it's coming. He over, he kind of got going in, in Clasico, then he got injured again. I feel like that's another gear to hit. To be fair, I guess Barcelona have maybe their defense could improve with without coming back. But their problem this season has not been defense, apart from the Clasico. In the Clasico, they need every defender available. In the other games, it's not been affecting them. What What's affected them more is that, is Lewandowski going to save the day or not, basically, is is what it's coming down to in so many games for them. And in other games, it doesn't matter if he does or not because they're, they're so much better offensively. But, yeah, I agree with that point. Um, I was just going through it because you asked, where this team was last season after this many games so this year 12 games 10 wins two draws that puts us at 32 points um if i'm not mistaken because i did this manually believe it or not on the fly i think after 12 games last season we had 26 points so six points better this season is where we where we stand yeah, <clears throat> yeah.
0: and not come as a surprise so it it just Comes to show, like, I still think, and it is something that I've noticed to me. This team this year is a more stable team than last year. It has, like, last year, uh, if there was a situation where, like, Ben Sema was not available for as long as he has right now, the team would have collapsed. And right now, they're still at the top of the league and still, uh, uh, like, they're now the team has. More alternatives with Rodrigo with Fede. uh, There are more attacking alternatives Uh, with Trameni. It's more stable on the ball, like, there's just this is a better team than it was last year, in my opinion. It's just that the standard to win the league this year is gonna be higher.
1: Yeah, 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 that's that's where we're at. So, um, this was a, a tough two points to drop, regardless, because of. Especially after Lewandowski saving the day yesterday in the 94th minute at the Mestaya. So right now, right now, the lead is cut down to one. We are away to Vallecas next week, which is always going to be a heated, heated game in Vallecas against Rio Vallecano. Then we got Cadiz, then Valladolid, then, v- then we got, oh no, sorry, we got Cadiz, and then we got the World Cup, and then back in December, uh, December 31st. So we're almost at the World Cup stage now. We're almost at that point. So uh it will be
0: annoying. It will be annoying because they started the season a bit off, but now they're getting back to the point where they're again a pain to deal with. So uh it's gonna be I would expect kind of a lower, lowish scoring game with
1: with some suffering involved. Suffering. Let's sign us up. That's what we're that's what we're known for. We're known for suffering. <laughs> yes. All right, Jose, this was fun. Thanks for uh taking the time out of your day to join this podcast after an early kickoff. Appreciate it. Uh, You and I are going to do scouting report when Friday?
0: Yes. I think uh, we're up for the usual scouting report on Friday. So this time it'll be on Rayo, which is a team I always love to analyze. So
1: looking forward to it. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, Jose. appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Kian. And thanks, everyone, for listening. See you around. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. We wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on Patreon.com slash Managing before we wrap up the podcast and send you along on your way. So thank you to everyone who's part of the Patreon family. You get a ton of bonus content in return. A lot of value. You join the Real Madrid family. It's great to have you in there. So thank you. We also wanted to give a shout out to our $10 plus patrons who not only get guaranteed responses to their questions, but also Get a shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Way Pering, Wamik Jamal, Tobias Arroyo botcher Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujaywani, Suman Singh, Sheikh atiri Shamil Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, samuli Justin, Samer Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar. Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Moeller, Nick Ribeiro, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, Logan Stahl, Leon Savarnakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, jason fitz ian marley graham gerard gary Kohut, frederick antakiro frederick sundros faisal hamdan sa davisito eloy enriquez edward sauceman daniel williams con p christian toft christian acosta charles williams brendan powers ashik bashar Arnab muharji armand gashi armando l antons rudenko anirud singh ananya kumar alex thyberg al azaz hussein Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun Ramtin Magrour, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Love you guys so much. Thank you for the support. Thank you for being on this journey with us, and hala